disaster. Looking at, and it's really a continuation. Uh, obviously, it's a continuation because it's a letter. It's, a, it's what Paul has written. He goes from one thought to another. But we really are continuing what he dealt with in chapter 5. And remember, in, in, a, in a brief review of what we've already learned, the first four chapters we really, Paul deals with again and again and again. He reiterates it in so many ways. The fact that there was fighting amongst the, the church there. There was, there was divisions and schisms within the church. They were they had created these cliques, these political parties, if, if you will. These, and it was driven, it was really personality parties. Because I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas. No, we're of the Lord only. We're the righteous ones. So it was these personality parties. And it, what it did was it created disunity within the church. And Paul was dealing with that for the first four chapters. Then last week we, we, we learned that... Um, you know, they were, they were uh, ignoring church discipline. They were ignoring the things they had learned, the things they knew to do in dealing with sin within the church. They were ignoring, in fact, they were embracing sin in the camp. They were embracing it. There was sin in the camp, and they were just, they were just okay with it. They were letting it go on, and they were, everything was as normal. And the problem was they were isolating from the world. So the, the lost world that, that, that they should have been out witnessing to, now they've totally isolated themselves. God doesn't call us to isolate. I'm going to have to preach a message sometime on the difference between isolation and separation. We are to separate from a sinful lifestyle. We're to separate from sin. We're, we're to, our life should be different. When we get saved, there should be a testimony like that, that our life is different. If we go on living the way we lived before we got saved, we probably didn't get saved, folks. It's just that simple, that God makes a change. So they should have been out winning the world, but they weren't. They were shunning the world, and they were embracing sin right there in the church. They were just the opposite of what they should be doing. So, so they, um, they had become like the world within the church while shunning the lost world that they should have been trying to change with the gospel, and they, and they weren't doing that. And the fact was they were proud. Paul deals with their pride. They were proud of their tolerant, liberal attitude. There was an arrogance about them and, and there was a pride about them that he dealt with. Now, here we get to chapter 6, and we find another area of wrong, another, another, uh, another wrong attitude and, and wrong actions that were taking place in the church there at Corinth. Look at verse 1. He says, Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Now, what's happening is they're, going to, they're, they're taking each other to court. They're suing each other. Something goes on in the church, in the body there, and somebody gets mad and they take, they're taken to court. Now, you've got to understand, in Corinth, trials were a huge thing in that culture. It was, it was just a, it was a, it was a court system play. It was all about that. They, uh, laws and lawsuits and using the legal system, it was a big part of that culture. It's a big part of what they did. And you also got to understand that a, a jury in one of their court cases, I understand I was reading this week, um, a, a jury in one of these court cases could, could consist of anywhere from hundreds of people to, to even thousands of people could be involved in hearing a court case. So it's not a closed off thing like we think of. You might go before the judge and, and have a hearing and a judge make a judgment in America. Well, you may go and have 12, 12 witnesses. They would be all kinds of jurors involved in this, multitudes of people involved with it. And so when you talk about this attitude of going to law and going into court, what does that, does that sound like anything familiar to you guys? Sound like any place familiar? 
Sounds to me like America. And again, as we're, as we're reading this, we could change this. This could be First America instead of First Corinthians. It could be First United States of America because the, the church in America is doing the same things. We've got the same things going on in our culture. We've got the same things going on in churches all across America. And, and, it's, and it's interesting because back in 2020, anybody care to guess how many lawyers there were in America? A bunch. Too many. That's a, that's a good answer. No, one point, listen, 1.3 million lawyers in America in 2020 for a population of 330 million, okay? 1.3 million lawyers. So let's put that in perspective or, or contrast it. In, in Japan, there are only 287 attorneys per 1 million people. 287. In America, there are 3,769 <laughs> Okay, so they have, we have 2.6 times uh, the population of Japan. Only 2.6 times the population, while we have 13 times the number of lawyers. So you can see our culture is driven that way as well. And the problem that, that they had in Corinth of the culture infiltrating the church is the same thing that we experience today with the culture infiltrating the church. And we have this same attitude in the church. And here's another problem we have in America today with this this. Um, legal system and stuff is, is that we have a get-rich-quick society. Amen? So, so we, we have people who are seeking prosperity through lottery and litigation. Those are the two avenues. I'm going to get rich by buying a lottery ticket, or but that person rear-ended me, I'm going to sue their socks off. I'm going to get rich off that. Well, it's not really hurting them. I, well, you weren't really hurt, but that, that, it doesn't matter. I got you rear-ended me. I'm going I'm to sue you. I'm going to take you to court. And we have this very, um, very suing. It's not even friendly. It's aggressive. This, this attitude of culture in America. And folks, the problem comes in when this attitude comes into the church. Paul identifies here the problem. They were taking brothers in Christ to the court of law before the lost world. They were airing family business before those outside the church. Now, when you look at the Jews, all through history and all across the world, the Jews have always had their own system. So within that culture, within those communities, if there were a problem between people, they had a system within that to deal with. It and take care of it. And, 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 and they didn't have to go to the courts of law. They didn't have to go to the Gentile courts of law. They dealt with things amongst themselves. Folks, that's the way it ought to be in the Christian church. That's, amen? That's the way it ought to be in the church of the Lord. It, it, it ought to be that we have a system. Hey, wait, we're going to find out about that this morning. We do have a system. Now, I'll say this in, in leading into this. Paul is not forbidding going to court. He's not saying there can't be lawsuits. He's not saying you can't go to court about something because Paul had himself. He had appealed to Caesar. He had been before courts. He had, he had, he had, he had stood for his rights when he was beaten in Philippi and thrown into jail wrongfully. And then they found out he was a, a citizen. And they come and they say, well, release Paul. And Paul said, nope, you come release me. You wrongfully uh, judged me and sentenced me and threw, beat me and threw me in prison. Now you come publicly. You did that publicly. Now you publicly come and you release me. So he dealt with those things when it comes to the public court. Uh, he, he's not forbidding 
lawsuits. He's not forbidding using the courts. But he is making a statement about what we should do and what we should not do as believers. So here's the irony of it. In chapter 5, they, we encountered this community where they were unwilling to deal with those issues, the issue of incest right there in the church. And, and they're, they're avoid, they avoided judging a member inside their church, even while judging those outside the community. Then here in chapter 6, we find that Corinthians, that they're being completely inconsistent on how they handle these issues handling their personal issues. Now they're judging a member inside their community, but rather than handling inside, they're turning the case over to those outside. So it's a disagreement among two brothers, brothers and sisters, whatever it is in the church, believers in the church, they've got a disagreement and they're taking it to the court of law. And, and so we're going to look at, this is the issue this morning. So here's the thing. We're quick to judge when it's something against us. Amen? And when I say judge, I mean we're quick to get all in up in arms about wanting my rights, wanting justice, we want all this when it's against us. Whether it's real or perceived, we want, we want what's coming to us. We want what's right. Uh, but we're not so quick. In fact, we're, we're probably quick to look away when the issue doesn't affect us personally. And that's what really, that's the gist of what was going on in Corinth. The, the issue of incest, it didn't affect most of them. Now, let's just turn the other eye. Well, we love everybody. You know, they're in sin. The Lord will convict them. We'll, we'll just uh, tolerate it and allow it to go on, and maybe God will get a hold to their heart. There, there's only one problem with that. That's absolutely against what Scripture commands us to do. But they're turning their eye to blatant sin. But heaven forbid someone do something against me. I'm not going to turn a blind eye to that. I'm not going to just let it go and let God deal with it. I'm going to deal with it. I want to get this fixed. That's what's going on. They want to win their case. They want their rights. I want my rights. And, and, and what it does is it sows discord and disunity in the church. Okay, Harry Ironside, H.A. Ironside said this. He said, we Christians... And he says, though he's writing to the world, he said, we Christians are just as covetous and just as quarrelsome. We are just as much concerned about having our own way and about self-pleasing as you in the world are. We recognize your judges as having authority over the church of God. What a shame to us. And that's what we do as believers when we take our problems... Me and Raymond have a problem. We can't, we can't work it out. Are you kidding? And we're going to go to court and we're going to, as believers, we're going to air family business before the lost world that we don't even like? That's what was going on. In 1982, Warren Berger, who was the chief justice at the time of the United States uh, the Supreme Court, he said, one reason our courts have become overburdened, this is 1982, have become overburdened is that Americans are increasingly turning to the courts for relief from a range of personal distresses and anxieties. He added, remedies for personal wrongs that once were considered the responsibility of institutions other than the courts are now boldly asserted as legal entitlements. The courts have, have been expected to fill the void created by the decline of church, family, and neighborhood unity. The late Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia made this observation about 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, believe it or not, folks, we got some folks on the Supreme Court that I believe actually looked to the Word of God, and Justice Scalia was one of those. He looked to the Word of God, and writing on chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, he said this. He says, I think that this passage has something to say about the proper Christian attitude towards civil litigation. Paul is making two points. Paul says that the mediation of a mutual friend, such as the parish, uh, parish priest, 
should be sought before parties run off to, court, to, the, to the law courts. I think we are too ready today to see vindication or vengeance through ad- adversary proceedings rather than peace through mediation. Good Christians, just as they are slow to anger, should be slow to sue. So that's, that's, the, that's the, our Supreme Court justice saying that years ago. So we look at, so Paul has set the case. That's the case of what's going on in the church. Now look at verse 2. And Paul goes on to make his case. Now what's interesting, if you read through these 11, these 11 verses here, I believe, if I remember right, I believe there's 10 questions. The majority of what Paul does here doesn't, he's not making statements, though he is making very strong statements. He's asking very pointed questions. Questions that really, I mean, it's like, you know, you ever seen the little video of the little boy that the little girl poked him in the, in the chest? He goes, you poked my heart. Anybody seen that? As cute as it can be. That's what, that's what he's doing. He's poking them right in their heart. He's, he is getting to them with these pointed questions. He says, all right, so you're taking people to court. It shouldn't be. Brothers and taking brother to court. Verse 2, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Saints, believers, Christians will judge the world. And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Folks, we are going to judge. If we're a believer, Lord, in the end times, we're going to judge with Christ. We're going to sit on these thrones. Look at Matthew 19, verse 28 says this. So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of His glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Christians, we're going to judge. And if we have the wisdom to judge in that time, why don't we have the wisdom to judge now? We're, the, the, the church in Corinth was absolutely throwing that off. Nobody can do this judging. Verse 3, do you not know that we shall judge angels? Another question. Do you not know that we're going to judge the world? Do you not know? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? We will rule with Christ. We will judge this world and we will also judge the fallen angels. Now, can you imagine the things that we're going to see? Can you imagine the things that we're, when, when it is exposed and those angels, those fallen angels are judged and all that is revealed that they've been doing in this, in this world the, the, the disease and the destruction and death that they have brought. And, and that will be judged. Can you imagine? And if, we, if God gives us the wisdom to judge in that with him, why can we not judge today the simple things of this life? And why can we not judge now? Why can't we judge the lowly things of this life? Here's the deal. We think our things are so important. You know, we, minor surgery. Y'all know what minor surgery is, right? It's surgery on somebody else. That's exactly right. If it's on me, it ain't minor surgery. You know, it's, 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 that's the definition of minor surgery, surgery on somebody else. And it's kind of the same way with issues in life. Because if it's somebody else's issue, it might be very petty. You know, you're really being petty right now. But you let that happen to me, all of a sudden it's a big deal. Because it's me. That's the way we see things, folks. That's the way we process it. It's all this internal thing. So the things that happen to me, man, that my things are so important. They're so big. But folks, compared to eternity, they're just small items. Everything in this life is small. Earthly stuff, no matter how important they, they appear, are small things. And, 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 they, and they, are certainly, they are certainly things that the saints, the believers here and now, can easily judge without going to the court of law. Okay? Verse 4. 
If then you have judgments concerning these things pertaining to this life, do you, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church? Now what he's saying is, you know, you've already segregated from the lost world. That court system is a part of the lost world. You, you, you don't like that. That's the least esteemed by the church. What would we talk about in here? We, we joke about politicians. Well, we don't really joke, but we talk about politicians and, and, the, and the problems we have with politicians today for the most part and politics and government and these different institutions, these things that we see corruption. It's lowly esteemed in a lot of ways. So I, I made a comment about the number of lawyers. What was the comment too many no matter how many we got we got too many right so it's 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 those that we don't esteem outside the body of Christ right and yet what they were doing is going to those people the people they least esteemed is who they were taking their their garbage before and to have them judge we want the lost world to judge us believers in our own personal business that's what's going on in verse 5 this is what Paul says he says I say this to your shame I mean, it's, it's shame on you. Shame on you, church. What are you doing? I don't think Paul approved of what they were doing to you. I don't think he liked it. And then he continues there in verse 5. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one, who will be able to judge between his brethren? Paul, Paul's already pointed out multiple times already in, this, in, this, in these passages their pride. He's called them on their pride about how highly they esteem themselves and how highly they might even esteem some of those in their own group. Now, it may not be those that were of Paul's group wouldn't have liked Peter's group. They wouldn't have esteemed them very highly. But those in their own group, you would think that they're so proud. You're so wise. And he says, is there not a wise man among you? Not even one who will be able to judge between the brethren? It's not a man among them to judge between them. That's what he's saying. You can't find even one among you who can judge between you. Not a one. Y'all are so wise. And Paul is named, he'll name men later in this book that he highly esteemed. Paul writes all through his letters, men that he highly esteemed. That, that would have easily, he, he could name a dozen in that church. They can't pick out one. Now why is this? Why is it that these believers in the church then... And, and even believers in the church in America today, I can't just limit that to America, it's just a fleshly thing, but in the church today, that why, why would men do this? Well, it goes back to pride. It goes back to pride. I, I want my way. Uh, we don't want to lose face. You know, somebody did me, man, I ain't, I ain't going to stand for it. I'm going to have my way. This going, you know, or, or we don't want the other person to get the best of us. We, don't, we, we, we want to make sure I'm on top of this. I can't let them better me in that. Uh, we don't want to take a financial hit. Worried about the money. Money's always a big, big issue. Uh, we don't want our rights violated, right? I don't, we want to stand on principle, right? We want to stand on principle. You know, I want justice. We want justice. Right is right. It's the way it should be. Until it's us, and then we want mercy. But we want that justice. You know, here's another reason I think this is, is the case. is We don't want our worldliness revealed to the church. Think about it. You know, I'm acting like the world, and, and, and somebody's done me dirty, and I'm, I'm just all up in arms. I want my rights. I want this. That's so unchristlike. 
So what would we rather do? We'd rather, you know, if I'm acting like the world, I'd rather take it before the world and let the world system judge it than I have to have that exposed before brothers and sisters in Christ who, who I know are going to say, brother, that's not the right attitude. Okay? So I think that's part of, of why this happens maybe there and probably even today. Verse 6, Paul says, But brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers. The problem was not the having to go to, to law. Let me just say this. There are situations where we'll have to go to court. We may have to. As a church, we might have to. But as a church, we're not going to sue a church. As, as a believer, we shouldn't sue believer. But, I mean, if, if, if the roof gets blown off tomorrow and our insurance company, it, it says in, our, in the paperwork that it's, it's covered. This should be covered. And they said, we're not paying you know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to go before the court. Those are different situations. That's not the situation he's talking about here. Okay, What he's talking about here is brother against brother. And so he's saying stop taking these family matters before the lost world and exposing this family business before this lost world. It's, it, what it does is it shows our immaturity, our carnality, our pride, our arrogance, our greed, and our desire to be right. So stop exposing that before the whole world. Keep that in-house. You judge it in the church. You judge it. Paul says, get trusted brothers in the church to hear your matters and judge for you. Now, verse 7, now, therefore, it is already an utter failure. So what they're doing, he's already, it's already a problem in the church. It's already a failure. He's calling them out on it. Already, it is, it is, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Now, the first thing it does is it hurts the unity of the church. Again, they, they had disunity all through the church. This wasn't going to help it. This is just making it worse. Um, something that was already fractured in Corinth due to their internal fighting and their personality-driven cliques and embracing of open sin. All of these things were dividing the unity of the church. And now on top of that, they're dragging each other off to court. It was, it was, it was dividing. It was hurting the unity of the church. But it also hurt their testimony in the community. And so... As I said before, there could be, a, 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 be, a, be hundreds of people involved in, in court cases in Corinth. Hundreds, if not thousands. And they would hear and they would see the immaturity of these professing, listen, these professing, my life has been changed by the power of God, people going in church and sounding like a bunch of petty, lost, unregenerate folks. That's what was going to happen. That was their testimony was being shot. And the lost world would simply say, if that's being a Christian, I don't need it. They're no better than me. Why do I need to be a Christian to act like that? I act like that now. I don't, I'm not, I, don't have to, I don't have to be a Christian to act like that. Look how they act. They're no different than we are. That was the problem. Their testimony was, was impacted. And you think of the reach of the negative witness that this would have brought by those two believers tearing at each other in open court. Imagine later, you know, like six months later, one of these guys is, is out and he's trying to share his testimony with someone. And that person heard. They were a part of the jury. They heard what went on. They saw the way he acted. How, how much impact, how much influence do you think that person's going to have now with that lost person they're trying to witness to after them seeing exactly what they are and how they are? There's not going to be much of an impact, and that's, that's the problem with their testimony. Today, whether on the news or just having the information talked about in the public, uh, we can have a similar negative witness when we sue a brother. Now, we see these actions, and in fact, recently... Uh, 
there was, I, I read an article about a pastor who was suing another pastor because of something he said. He, said, he made some comments, and, and they were derogatory comments. And, you know, it's, it's funny on social media now. Everybody's got to have their blah, blah, blah. And they put out stuff out there, and, and they say things that they probably wouldn't have said to somebody's face. But they'll say those things. So somebody said something. So this other pastor, he sues him. He ended up dropping the suit. I guess they finally decided they'd settle it. But the damage is already done because here's two pastors, and it's exactly what we're talking about because the lost world's out there looking at it going, look at these fools. Man, I thought that was, I thought they were Christians. I thought they were Christians. I thought they were little Jesuses. I thought they were changed by the blood. I thought they'd been redeemed. All this stuff they talk about, they're not acting any different than we are. Boy, look how petty that is. So you have that. I've seen situations where churches sue pastors. Something goes on and they sue the pastor or the pastor will sue the church. You know, he, he quits doing the job or he falls in sin. They get rid of him and he thinks he should get a six-month severance in his sin. And so he, he sues the church. There's a lot of reasons. And, it can, and sometimes, you know, it's people that look like they're living right. And yet they, they're going to go to court. They're going to sue each other. You'll have member against member. It's kind of like the husband who accused his wife of of spending too much money, accused her of spending $200 this month on clothes, and she refuted, no, no, I ain't no way. I didn't spend $200 on clothes. And he, they get in this fight, and he's just he, he arguing with her, and he's angry about it, and he goes back, and he pulls out all the receipts, and you know what? She spent $250. See, I told you, I told you, here it is, proof right here. That's wonderful. You know what he just did? Boy, he won the battle, didn't he? But he lost the war. He won his little battle, but he's hurt his marriage. He's hurt his relationship. And folks, we do that. We do that. We want our way. We want our way. Blah, blah, blah. And we, and we would attack somebody. We take them to court. Nah, we, I'm vindicated. No, you're not. No, you're not. Now, now, now you've just heard everything. You've heard everything. You might have won the little battle, but you lost the war. And you've lost your testimony. And folks, the reason Paul's dealing with this is because if that goes on in the church, it's not just the one or two that are off in court. It affects the whole church. If that went on here, I, I'm going to just say this, I don't, know, I don't know of that ever going on here. I've not known of that case. I don't, I don't know of a single situation. In fact, I don't know that I've ever been in a church where a member took another member to church uh, to court. Now, I'm going to explain why this is how it's relevant to us because it's like, man, we don't do that. It's not relevant. I'm going to show you how it is relevant. But... Um, I don't know that that case has ever happened, but if it did, it doesn't just hurt the testimony of those two because everybody's going to say, that's that First Baptist Geneva. That's that, that's that church over there. That's the kind of people they are. That's what they do. And we all get lumped into that. We have to be, we have to be careful that we don't throw a blanket. But you know what the lost world will do? They'll throw a blanket right over everybody because of the actions of a couple. You have two people in a church, and it'll, it'll throw uh, disgrace on the whole church. Now, we're going to look at, uh, when we get to verse 7 here, this is really, I think, the focal point of this, of this message. To me, it's, it's, the, it's the biggest, most important part of this. Paul states the absolutely radical idea. He's going to present an absolutely radical idea here. I mean, absolutely out-of-the-box, unbelievable thinking here for born-again believers. Look at what he says. Why do you not rather accept wrong? And I say radical idea because I'm being very, very facetious. 
He says, why do you not rather accept wrong? You've been wronged? Okay. Why don't you just accept it? Why do you not rather let yourself be cheated? They cheated you? Okay. Why don't you just let them cheat you? Why do you, why do you insist on being right? Why do you insist on going to court? It's this radical idea. And what Paul is saying is, why don't you Christians just act like, well, like Christians? Why don't you act like Jesus? We wear the bracelets. What would Jesus do? Well, we ought to take those off sometimes before we go to acting like we act, right? Because Jesus wouldn't do what we oftentimes do. He doesn't act the way we would often act. See, Christ took what he didn't deserve to give us what we never deserved. Amen? Amen. He was cheated of everything to give us everything. He was wronged. He was abused, mocked, insulted, blasphemed, hit, beaten, spit upon, had his beard plucked out. He was slapped, stripped naked, nailed to a cross. And then, on top of all that, the sin of the whole world was was placed upon him, was laid upon him for us, for you, for me, for those in Corinth. And he died. He died for our sin. He was done wrong. He'd been cheated. What did Jesus do? He took it. He took it. And I think to Matthew 18. In Matthew 18, we have the story of the one who was forgiven much and should have forgiven much. And we know the story that the the king was calling in his servants and, and reckoning the accounts and bringing them up. And he brings a servant before him that owed a debt. The debt, I don't know how the man ever acquired that much debt. It almost seems impossible that he could have acquired the kind of debt he had. It was more debt than he could have paid back in, I don't remember, it seems like it was over 100,000 lifetimes that it would take him to pay the debt back. It's just an unbelievable debt that he owed. And the king says, throw him in jail, sell everything he has. You know, we got, we'll cut our losses at this point. Sell his family. So everything, every, they're going into slavery. The, the, the house is going to be sold. Everything he's going to have. He's, he's going to prison. And, and, he, and he falls down. And he pleads with the king. And the king is gracious and, and is compassionate and forgives his debt. And sends him on his way. He's just been forgiven a debt. Does that sound like anybody anybody familiar? Does that sound at all familiar to us? Anybody in here been forgiven a debt you could never, you could never ever pay yourself? Anybody? Amen. Thank you, Thomas. Thank you, Thomas. We've been forgiven a debt we could never repay, folks. If we're born again, that debt has been paid, it's been forgiven. And then what did he do? He goes out. First thing he does, he finds a fellow servant who owed him a few days' wages. I think it would turn out about two weeks of wages. The man absolutely could pay him back. It was going to take a little time, but he could pay him back. He was not patient. Took him by the throat, it said, and had him thrown into jail until he could pay it back. Absolutely unforgiving. That is an example of what we're not to do. And yet, that's what we do. We've been forgiven so much. And yet the slightest little thing, well, preacher, that was, that was not a slight little thing. You just don't know what they did. I don't care what they did. It, 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 if it's in the church, it's a, it's, you know, it's a slight thing. Compared to what Jesus did for me, what he did for us, the, everything's a slight little thing. Amen? Amen? 
Proverbs 20, verse 22 says, Do not say, I will recompense evil. Wait for the Lord and He will save you. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38, beginning in verse 38, says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now listen to what the Lord says, verse 39. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. Now he's talking about an evil person right here. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him. And we've heard all about this, turn the other cheek. That's a radical way of thinking. And what's the first thing we want to do? You punch me on the cheek, I'm going to throat punch you. You know, that's, that's our attitude. I'm going to hit you three times. You hit me one. You know, that's our, our response. That's not what Jesus said. Verse 40, if anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak too. Just go ahead. If he, he's going to sue you for this, go ahead and give him that and give him more. That's what Jesus says. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. That's where we get the phrase, go the extra mile. Somebody compels you to go one, go two. Go beyond what they're asking, what they're trying to make you do. Give to him who asks you and from him who wants to, to borrow from you, do not turn away. If this is how we're to act toward an evil person, how much uh, better with a brother in Christ? How much more forgiving? If that's the way we should act, if that's the attitude we should have with the lost world, how much more should that be the attitude within the church? When, when a brother, Mike, I want to I apologize to you guys. I've been convicted of this since I said it. I, I said up here, I called y'all riffraff. And I'm being, trying to be funny. I'm trying to be funny. And try being up here and do, it's not stand up, but sometimes you are off the cuff, right? And I called you guys riffraff. And that's the farthest thing in the world from what you guys are to me. And I thought that might have, I'm, I'm sitting here going, that might have hurt their feelings. I didn't mean it that way. I didn't mean it that way, and I'm sure they didn't think a thing about it. But it has bothered me that I, that I said that, and I didn't mean it. I didn't mean that. But we, we've got to have, we got to have a better way of handling things within the church, right? We, we should love each other. And someone, someone does say, here's what I know with Mike and, and Vivian, they wouldn't have thought another thing about it. But there might be somebody that I'd say that, and they would be just torqued and in arms, and all of a sudden, they want to sue me for malice. You get where I'm coming from? But that's what we do because it, you, know, you said that against me. So I, I genuinely apologize. I'm not just using that as an illustration. I genuinely do. That, that, was, that was stupid and it just pops out. Um, I'm Captain Obvious and I'm, I'm Captain Simple too, so I'm not, I'm not real bright. <laughs> stupid is as stupid does. <laughs> so we have to, we have to be different. Folks in the church, Matthew seven twelve says, Therefore, whatever you do to men, or, or whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and prophets. Therefore, the golden rule, right? Therefore, whatever you want, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. I'd love for someone to come and give me $50. That'd be a blessing. Why don't we do that for somebody else? Why don't we bless someone in a way? Find a way to bless someone the way you want to be blessed. But if you want them to forgive you when you make a mistake, be forgiving. When someone else does. Whether it was accidental or on purpose. Bible doesn't distinguish there. It just says, look, be forgiving, be loving, be patient. Amen. We won't, again, we want justice, right? Until it's us, and then we want that mercy. 
It's us on the interstate. Some fool flies by us 20 miles over the speed limit. That right, fool, I'm doing 20 over myself. That just means they're doing 40 over. So, you know, I want justice. Where are the cops when that's going on? But when we get pulled over, we're praying, Lord, please, please be merciful to me. Just a sinner. You know, that's what we're praying. God, touch their hearts so they don't write me a ticket. Isn't that? But our attitude, we should be that way with others. We should be forgiving in that way. Romans 12 Verse 17 says, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. You know, there's an answer for us right there. Well, I can't let them get by with that. I can't let them get away with it. There ain't nobody getting away with nothing, people. We understand that. And and, and the truth is we're not concerned about whether or not they're going to get away with it from the Lord or not. We just want them not to get away with it with us. And that's the heart of the situation. And we've got to change that thinking. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a, a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We do not have to stand on our own rights. It is not necessary that we should always prove that we have been wronged. We don't always have to prove that. Well, do you know, let me tell you what they did. Let me, let me tell you, let me, I'm going to tell you what he did. Do you hear? You need to hear this. So that's what we do. We, we, we want everybody to know we've been wronged and we want it made right. And yet what we're doing is wrong in the way we approach it oftentimes. Um, we can, you know, if you will, we, we, we can just bow our heads and say, I leave it all to God. I am not going to say anything about it. If they wrong me, he knows and he understands. That's the attitude we should have. Ironside, I want to read something here. Uh, Harry Ironside, H.A. Ironside wrote this. And he was talking about a situation like this in the church where they were dealing with an issue in the church. And he said he was just a small boy when this happened. And, and these two men are in the church and, they're, and, they're, and the, the arguments are going on. And he says, I can remember one man springing to his feet and with clenched fist said, saying, I will put up with a good deal, but one thing I will not put up with, I will not allow you to put anything over on me. I will have my rights. An old Scotch brother who was rather hard of hearing leaned forward holding his ear and said, What was that, brother? I did not get that. I say, I will have my rights, said the man. But you did not mean that, did you? Your rights? If you had your rights, you would be in hell, wouldn't you? And he goes on, he says, And you are forgetting, aren't you? That Jesus did not come to get his rights. He came to get his wrongs, and he got them. I can still see that man standing there in a, uh, for a moment like one transfixed. And then the tears broke from his eyes and he said, Brethren, I have been all wrong. Handle the case as you think best. And he sat down and put his face in his hands and sobbed before the Lord. And everything was settled in three minutes. When in this spirit it is so easy to clear things up, when we bow before the Lord, he straightens them out. That's the, that's the attitude of all of this. Paul says now, that, that's the deal. Why don't we just take wrong? Why don't you just take it? Why not just take it? 
Why have you got to fight back? Why do you have to have your way? Why don't you just rather let yourself be cheated? Paul then continues in in, uh, verse 8. He says, but no, no, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do these things to your brethren. He's going to go on now in verses 9 and 10, and he names these sins. He's reminding them of the change in their life. He's reminding them of the sins that were in that, not in the church, but the sins that, that, that they were committing that are represented in that church. Sins against God, sins against nature, and sins against man. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, any sexual sin, folks, any sexual sin, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, neither thieves. Let me, let me say this. God is very clear on the, on the sexual sins. Very clear. But we like to skim over the thieves and the covetous and the drunkards and the revilers and the extortioners. You know what, you know what a thief is? It's somebody that takes from somebody else. There's a lot of times we might be thieving in, in the way that we treat other people in our business practice. Well, I should charge them $200 for this, but I'm probably, I'm going to just jack it up to 500 and, 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 you know, we take advantage of people. Covetous. Covetous is just greed. It's just wanting what somebody else has got. Drunkards, revilers, it's mouth. Man, just the mouth, the reviling, the things that we might say to other people. Extortioners, again, taking from people, getting more from them than we should. We extort them. None of these, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. So it, it goes back to this, folks. If you, if you think you can, if you think you can be these things and get saved and still be these things and still live like you used to, folks, you haven't met the living God. There's a change. There's a change. That's what he's reminding them. Look what he says in verse 11. And such were some of you. Some of you were these things. Some of the very things that I've just named, you were those things. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You have been born again. He reminds them of what God has done in their life. And he's reminding them, look what he has forgiven you. Why are you so petty? Why are you so petty? So what should we do in wrapping this up? Find a mature believer within the church to judge. If there's an issue, I'm going to jump. I had this last one. I'm going to mention this. This is really where it starts. If there's a a problem in the church, it's church discipline, right? We've talked about that. So if there's a problem, if there's a problem between you and somebody, we should do Matthew 18, first thing. Verse 15 through 17 says this, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him. We should do that. If I offend you, I say something that offends you, you should come tell me. If, I, if, if you say something that offends me, I need to come tell you. If there's something that I think, man, I think that, man, what did they do? Why would they do that to me? Go talk to them one-on-one. Have a conversation. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. You know, if we'll do those things right there, if we would do that right there, 99% of the problems we ever have in church would go away because we just nip it in the bud, as, as Barney would say. We just deal with it right up front. We deal with it. But 
If he will not hear, take, take with you one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established, okay? That's where we have these witnesses that go. We, we're going to go now, and I've confronted this person. They, they did wrong. They're not making it right, whatever's going, whatever the situation is. I'm going to take two or three others with me. We're going to go, and uh, that they, can, they can hear, and they can be a witness to the attitude. And so the attitude is either going to be, I'm going to repent of, when you come confront me, I'm either going to repent of that, or I'm going to be obstinate, and I'm going to be proud, and I'm going to reject that, and I'm going to continue in my sin. And if that's the case, then, verse 17, and if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. And that's, that's the progression of this. But it should start one-on-one. If there's an issue, deal with it. I'm just, I'm just telling you. I, I, I don't, I don't, nobody likes, I don't know if anybody likes being confronted, but if I do something, I want you to confront me. If I do something that, that, that you feel like I've slighted you or I've, 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 I've offended you in some way, I want you to tell me. Give me the opportunity to make that right and, and to apologize and, conf, and confess it or to be obstinate and then go further with it. Amen? Whatever, whatever's going to be there. So we need to deal with that. But, but when we have that issue, and, and so there's that situ- situation comes up, you got a problem in the church. It may not even be a church. It could be two brothers, two, two Christians. One, one, one's in a trade. The other one's in a trade. They're working on a house. They have a disagreement, and now they're fighting about it. And, and here's a situation where they ought to come before the church. They ought to come before somebody. They could say, Raymond, could, 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 could you and John and Pastor... Could we get together and let us share this situation? Would y'all judge between us? You know what? We ought to humble ourselves and let, let this happen and, and handle those situations instead of dragging them off into court. Amen? That's what he's saying. So he's saying, don't take a brother or sister in Christ to the court of law. Now, here's where it applies to us today, folks. Because I don't know of a single situation in 20 plus years in ministry, 40 years in church, where I've known two people in the church who one took the other to court. I, don't, I just don't know of a situation where it happens. So we go, well, how is this really applicable? Well, we know we shouldn't do it. Okay, so you understand it's not a thing where you can't go to court. It's a thing where you should not, and you really can't go to court between believers. We should not do that. It should never come to that. But here's where it's more applicable to us. So don't take a brother or sister to, to, uh, in Christ to the court of law. But don't take them to the court of the parking lot or the court of public opinion either. See, that's where we take a lot of our grievances. We may not take it to the court, but we'll take it out to the court in the parking lot. And that's where we're... Can I tell you what so-and-so did? I need, I, need you, I need you to pray for me. Or I need you to pray for them. And we, and we begin to to spout out how they wronged us. Or, or we start telling everybody because we want it tried in the court of public opinion. And we want everybody to understand how horrible this person is. Do you all understand? Scripture is very clear. That's sowing discord. It's sowing discord among brethren. That is not how those issues are to be handled. Very private. Only when it gets really big should it come before the whole church. And that's when the church is dealing with someone who's just absolutely resisting what God is wanting to be done in that, and they're, and they're being obstinate to repenting. Amen? Amen? So, folks, word applies to us 
is, is don't try these things in, in the public court of opinion, in the parking lot or the back hallway. Deal with it individually. Deal with it. Let God do the work in your life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Pastor Aaron, you guys make your way forward. So this morning, as we, it, it, we'll have an invitation because this is an, an, an altar. I share that often. This is an altar. This not, uh, it, 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 these aren't steps. You don't, shouldn't see steps. These folks are using our, step, our altar for steps, but it's an altar. This is a place to pray. If God's speaking to your heart this morning, you know, this morning you may be sitting here and, and you, you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. You know what? I, I can't look at a one of you because you don't wear a stamp on your forehead. There's no S's or L's up there. And L doesn't mean loser. It means just lost. It means someone that, that doesn't know the Lord. If you don't know the Lord, we'll call you a, you're, you're lost. You're not, a, you're not a loser. Okay. But you may, may not know the Lord. If you don't know the Lord, if you've, and, and I say this, you would know that. You know that. I can't look at you and know that. And there may be some in here who would tell me and, and just, just, man, would get red-faced in that, yes, I'm saved, I'm saved. But they're deceiving themselves. There may be some that have thought for their whole life that they're, they're, they're born again and they're not really. But, but the Holy Spirit knows. If you'll ask the Holy Spirit, reveal to me, Lord, where, where am I at? The Holy Spirit will speak to your heart. And you may be sitting here right now and your heart's starting to race. And you're thinking, man, I, I don't know that if I died right now I'd go to heaven. And if you don't know that, if you don't have that assurance, you need to get to the Lord. You need to get that to Him. You need to come to Him. Confess your sin. Confess that He is the only way to heaven. See, the good news of the gospel, we call the gospel the good news. The good news is good news because we were lost and hopelessly lost. We were, we, there was no way for us to save ourselves, but, but God, in His great love, sent His Son Jesus who came to this earth, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, bore my sins on Calvary, and died for my sin. He died in my place. He died in your place. And he rose again on the third day. And with that, he won victory over death, hell, sin, and the grave. Victory has been won. And he has offered to you eternal life. But it requires you repenting of your sin, a change of your mind that I cannot do this. Jesus is the only way. And coming to Him, confessing your sin, and calling on the name of the Lord. It's that simple. People go, well, the gospel can't be that simple. The gospel is very simple. It's not easy. There's nothing easy in the gospel. It costs Jesus everything. And He did it for you. This morning, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, I invite you to come down. Let, let one of us take the Word of God, open it up, and just introduce you to Christ this morning. Only He can do that work. But I call on you to take a step forward. This morning, you may have somebody on your heart that you need to pray for. You may have somebody that's, that's sick and needs prayer. You may have somebody that you know doesn't know Jesus as their Savior that you want to pray for. Maybe, maybe you've got a, a need in, in your life. Maybe what we've talked about this morning. Maybe there's somebody you've got conflict with. And maybe, maybe this morning would be a great time to come to the altar and just talk to the Lord about it. Ask Him to give you wisdom and courage to go and make that right. Whatever the Lord is doing in your heart this morning... It may have nothing to do with anything that I've said this morning. But if the Lord impresses on your heart, I invite you to come and spend some time this morning talking to Him. Let's stand. Father.